0: This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Father God, we're so privileged and so blessed to be able to share this word, Lord. I just thank you, Father God, for your beautiful anointing in this place. I thank you, Father God, that every heart will be changed and touched in a very special way today, Father, because you are God and your promises are yes and amen. I thank you that... I know the Holy Spirit is a teacher and I can do nothing without you, Holy Spirit. And so I give myself completely to you. And I thank you that it is your words of wisdom that are in my mouth, that I may comfort the weary in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone say, amen. Well, a big thank you to Apostle Thierry and Dr. Bev for this opportunity, which I never take lightly. And really just a great honor to be able to share with you and to worship with you tonight. And as I said, Well, the the title of my message tonight is actually what the Bible is all about. And I, as I said this morning, definitely do not assume that I'm able to cover that entire subject in the short period of time. But family, I'm excited because I have got, I just wanna bring some clarity in some very practical areas, as well as some spiritual areas. And I believe that this is going to bless you. Now, last week we spoke about, this is our series on the Holy Bible. We know the book, The the, the word Bible actually means book, but this is not just a book. It is a holy book, which means it is set apart. It is special. And I think there's nothing that irritates me more than if I see just how much the devil has blasphemed this word holy. And the reason he does it is because we serve a holy God, and we are a holy people, and this is the Holy Bible. It is the most read book in the whole world. It is the most translated book in the whole world. It is the most important book in the whole world. And it needs to be set apart by us as holy. Amen, family. We will through the series also teach you how to defend the word of God because how many of you know that this Bible is under huge attack at the moment? And we will learn how we can defend it as being true and right and living and alive. And really also just give you some convincing proof of both from a scientific and a scriptural point of view that the Bible can be trusted. Now last week, we spoke also about how it's not only important that we read the Bible, but that the Bible read us. And we learned a a memory verse because we found out that we need to meditate on the scriptures, right? We need to speak them out. How many of you were here last week? All right. How many of you remember the the memory verse? Can you say it for me? Okay, one, two, three, say it. Your word. Amen. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and lights up my path. Helps me to make decisions, make the right choices. And so tonight, we're going to do this just a little bit differently because in fact I have a verse of scripture that my, my message really hangs on and I want to start with the scripture that we can speak speak it out right now and it's found in Colossians 3 and verse 16 and this 316 kind of seems to be a theme of my message tonight and this is what it says it says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly can we say this together one two three let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. One more time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that. You know, the first two words are let it. Family, it's there. It has power. And more than anything in the whole wide world, we should want this word to dwell on the inside of us and not just dwell there, but to dwell in us richly. Amen? So really, that's what I want to talk about today, that we should really get this word into our life, not just kind of at some level, but at the deepest level. So I really want to show you right now, I want to give you a little illustration of how we're going to do this. And Enoch has got this wonderful mug of water for me. Thank you, Enoch. Very biblical name, appreciate that. So what I have here, oh dear, this is going to be quite difficult. We'll have fun with this. I want us to see this this water as being your life, you, your soul, okay? And this right over here is a tea bag, okay? And this represents the word of God. Now, think about this family. I mean, a lot of us, you know, we come to church and we kind of um, to receive these amazing dynamic messages <laughs> every week. But what we do is this is we kind of have a, a dip in. To the word right see that? Look at that just in that few seconds, can you see that it already colored the water? but I don't want really call that tea at this stage, we do. It's kind of just kind of <laughs> a little bit of tinted water, okay And really what we as Christians want for our, for our lives is we want the word to really change us completely, to fully take on the aroma of this thing, family, not only to color the water a little bit, but really to become something else completely. We want to become tea, right? Something completely different. So we want to take a a few more dips into this and just let it steep a little bit. How about that? You with me? So we're going to be covering some areas, and really what I want to look at today is give you three dips that we can take into the Word of God so that it can dwell in us more richly. And one of the first one is something that Apostle Theo has been speaking about for weeks already, and that is get a paper Bible. Get a Bible that you can read, that when God gives you that revelation that bubbles up on the inside, whether you're here in church or whether you're at home, that you make notes in your Bible. Because I can tell you now, when that happens, if you don't make notes of it, you're gonna forget. But if you make a note of it, every time you look at it, God is going to give you even more revelation, amen? So get a Bible in a translation that you like. And let me talk a little bit about the different translations because once again, we have people out there that are like, what's with all the translation? You know, you've got all these different people just like writing the Bible in a different way and like, what's that all about? So we want to have a look about that because it almost looks like, you know what, there's so many translations and like maybe it's not really that accurate. In actual fact, I think the first thing that we should know is that the Bible was not written in English. We know that, right? I mean, it was written in well, primarily two languages and the Old Testament was in the Hebrew and the New Testament in the Greek. So, but you know, one of the misnomers, one of the lies that the devil would love to put out there to everybody is because, you know, this book was written thousands of years ago, and with all these people that are translating it in a different way, it's kind of diluted it, and you can't really trust it anymore, and it's not really accurate because, you know, this one took it from that one, and that one took it from this one, and that one, which is nonsense. Nonsense. Because it actually comes from the original manuscripts. In actual fact, the scholars, if anything, go back to the original manuscripts to ensure that we have accurate translations. Family. And I'm so grateful to God for the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls because that even more validated the fact that this Bible is true and that it is accurate. Now, we as English speaking people or understanding English are just very, very blessed to have so many different translations that we can read it in different forms, put it together, and really get the fullness of what God is trying to speak to us about. Let me tell you this there are 3,752 languages in the world right now that do not have a single translation of the bible isn't that sad isn't that sad and you know what's awesome to me is at the moment there's this wonderful project going on in america which is called the illuminations project and their goal is is that between the years of 2033 and 2035 to have translated the Bible into every single language spoken on the earth today. 7,000 languages. Isn't that awesome? But you know, we as English-speaking people, family, we're just blessed. We can just read it in all these different forms. So I just want to break it down for you a little bit so that you know what the different translations are about. And I'm going to only give you a few examples and just tell you there are many more Bible. So you can study up on that, okay? Okay, these heaters are making my, taking my voice away. So the first kind of translation that you get is called a formal equivalency or an exact equivalency. And what that is, it's where they've literally gone back to the manuscripts and they've translated them word for word, Okay, so a good example of this would be the King James Version, which was translated in the year 1611. And so whilst the words have not changed, the grammar has. And it's pretty difficult to read it isn't it? And even more difficult to understand it in many cases. And so what they did is knowing that, they literally took the King James Version and they came, brought out the New King James Version, which is also an exact translation. They simply changed the grammar and took out all the these and the thous and the arts and all those funny words that we no longer use. The Americans have got a New American Standard Bible, also an exact translation uh, equivalency, also There is the English Standard Version, obviously from Britain. And so I'm saying it's really nice to have one of those so that you can really see what the word-for-word translation is. The second kind of translation that you get is called the functional equivalency or the dynamic equivalency, which means what they did there, instead of taking it word-for-word, they kind of took it thought-for-thought, Okay, so kind of sentence for sentence, so it kind of just again flowed a little bit better. And examples of those would be the New Living Translation and the Good News Translation. And actually for me, they kind of, when it came out, what they had done is they took today's English version and they kind of ramped it up a little bit. And rumor had it that that was a paraphrase, but in fact it isn't. It is in fact a functional equivalency. And then we've put the new international version in there as well. That one is also a bit of a controversial thing because there are some people that just think it's a total heresy, don't even read it. And most scholars actually think that it's one of the most accurate translations because they've taken it word for word as well as thought for thought. And this was done like over a hundred scholars all over the world put their heads together and came up with the NIV. And that's why it's actually very popular in a lot of the churches, actually outsold any other translation by far. There's actually not even a, a close second to that. Just giving you the facts, okay? I mean, we've had people in this church that have just said, you read out that Bible, I'm not coming back. You make up your own mind. The third type of translation that you get is called the, our prayer paraphrases. Now, that was never meant to be either one of the first two. It's not an exact equivalency, not a functional equivalency. They've literally taken the English Bible and they've simply put it into simpler terms. And the best example of this would be Dr. Kenneth Taylor. As he was doing his Bible study in the morning, what he would do is he would just break it down in simpler English in order to teach it to his children. (laughs) It was never meant even to be published that there became such a demand for it. So that's where we got the living Bible from. Never, ever insinuated that it was true to the original manuscripts. Apostle Theo said, you know, you shouldn't call these Bibles they're stories about the Bible verses. (laughs) And then there is the message Bible that's become really popular in the last couple of decades, especially amongst our our young people. So, you know, the the kind of differences... Maybe comparisons that you would have. As you know, we would read a scripture they would say, Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your hearts, enter these courts with praise. This is a day the Lord has made, we all know that, right? Now I mean the paraphrase would come up with something like, Hey dude, it's time to go to church. Let's go. I'm just joking. Let me give you a real proper comparison. Okay. Let's have a look at First Corinthians chapter thirteen and verse four. Once again, scripture we're very familiar with. If you go to the King James Version, it says, charity suffereth long. So they use this word charity. And if you go back to the original, this is the New Testament, so it'd be the Greek. Go back to the original Greek. And what you find is it's this word, once again, that we all know, agape. Now agape actually means the unconditional love of God. Okay, we've been taught that. So I think what King James decided just sounded kind of very poetic to say charity, or perhaps they wanted to separate it so you would know that this is, is not just the kind of normal love that we are talking about. And then the next two words he uses is suffereth long. So those two words, actually one word in the Greek, and it simply means patient. Me personally, when I think about patience, suffereth long works for me. Anyway, let me read it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charith, charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Okay. So, I mean, there you go. So many people revere it, and I love the Word of God. But some people just revere it so much that they say, listen, you don't read anything else. They even fight you and say, listen, that's the only thing that you should read. So the other translation we want to look at here is then the New International Version, which we read, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, and is not proud. Maybe not just poetic, but it's a little bit clearer, wouldn't you agree? But right then we get the message translation, and it says this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. It's got a bit of attitude with it, right? A little bit of fun, just to help us to understand it a little bit better. But it paraphrases it, expands it a little bit more. So that's one of the dips that we should take, and that is to get a Bible in a translation that you like. Secondly, I would say, family, it's really important that we read that Bible. not (laughs) Not just get it and put it on the shelf until Sunday, Okay. And don't get bogged down with reading plans and then maybe you get div- div- behind and then you don't wanna pick it up again. Just read your Bible every day. Just read it every day. So if you wanna go a little bit deeper into the Word, take another big deep dip into the Word. Get a study Bible, okay? Now with a study Bible, if you've ever seen one, you'll see what it does and get it in a translation you like. So you might as well just get one that is a study Bible. If you've ever seen one, you kind of get the scriptures in the translation, and at the bottom, it will give you commentary on the scriptures that you've read, so it just gives it a bit more depth, gives you a bit of historical background, maybe a bit of geographical background, so it helps you to understand it even better. So examples of that would be the Life Application Bible. There's also the Spirit-Filled Bible, very popular in this church. I'd even put Apostle Theo's Bible in this category because he's got study notes with it, even though it isn't scripture for scripture. And then John Maxwell has got a Leadership Bible, which what he's got these leadership principles in the Bible, great for mentoring leaders in your business or something like that, and just taking another dip. So the third thing that we wanna do, if you wanna go a little bit deeper, I'm going to read it every day. I'm going to study it as well. Right? And I just want to be one of those people, I'm not just satisfied with, you know, having a little bit of water. <laughs> I want a lot of tea. I want to do this thing. I want to literally change. So the third way, family, we can do it, and many of you are doing it already, is to be in a small group. Because now I'm reading the Bible and I'm studying the Bible, but now I get to discuss the Bible Because you see, I'm now in a place where whatever kind of group that I'm in, it doesn't matter whether it's a marriage group or a finance group or or a youth group or even just serving somewhere, having a group there. We now have the situation that we do read a scripture, we study a scripture, we speak about it, we ask questions about it. And what we do is we now engage this dynamic that we see in the book of Proverbs where iron is sharpening iron. Now, I've just spent a few days in the bush with my colleagues, and I tell you, we had this roaring fire going every night. And what I would see are these blood-red coals, so beautiful. And I realized this, that if you move one of them out of the way, one falls to the dust, within a few moments, that thing is ice cold and black as tar. It's important for us to be together. You see, because now I'm with others who are interested in the Bible. And now we are growing together and we're keeping each other sharper and this word of God is dwelling on the inside of us more deeply and now family, we don't have water anymore. We now have tea. Right? It's taken on this aroma. It's become what it allowed in its life and we can become what we allow in our lives with the word of God dwelling on the inside of us richly. Many people say, you know, that's all well and good, but I don't even understand the Bible. I mean, I I try and read it, but I battle to understand it. And I really think it's important because, you know, it's important to have understanding in any relationship. I, I think of my marriage. I mean, when my husband married me, he thought he knew me. He knows me a lot better now. I think his lifelong quest is to get to understand me. Kind of makes me think of this guy in California. He's walking on the beach. And he sees this thing gleaming and he picks it up, he goes and has a look and it's this bottle, it's full of sand, he dusts it off, this genie appears and says, your wish is my command. He says, you know, I always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I just don't fly and I just don't do that. Can you just build me a highway from here to Hawaii, then I can just drive anytime. Genie looks at him and he says, are you serious? Do you even understand the time and the labor and the concrete and the steel and the... Re- Do you know what it's going to take to build a highway across the ocean? Can you not think of something else? He says, well, I'd like to understand my wife. He says, would you like one or two lanes? <laughs> so I want to just look really quickly at understanding the Bible better, family. Just on that note, our marriage curriculums are running shortly. Watch the space. So let's have a look at this. First thing that we want to know is that it it was written over a period of 1,600 years, right? In over a dozen countries, over three continents, by 40 people. In fact, there's a few books that we're not too sure who the authors are, but at least 40 people in three different languages. The Bible was written by poets, by prophets, farmers, kings, soldiers, shepherds, princes, Priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and doctors. was written in caves, in ships, in palaces, prisons, and deserts. So I've got an amazing question for you with all of that in mind. If you think about all of that, how in the world is it possible that they all came up with exactly the same story? where there's no contradiction, and we will prove to you going forward that there's no contradiction. How is that possible? There's only one answer to that, and that is that there is only one author, and that is God. There's only one author. You couldn't even put together a writing program like that and come up with the same result. Just not possible. But I want to show it to you. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, as I said, my theme for tonight It says this, it says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you and I can be thoroughly equipped for every. Good work, family, for every part of our lives. In our families, in our homes, with our children, in our businesses, at our work. Whatever it is, the Word of God works in every part of our life. And it can be trusted. I mean, we'll see places. We find things in the Bible even before science found it out to be true. And it was in the Bible all along. But we need it on the inside of us. I mean, it's not just for Sundays. It works in every Part of our lives. In fact, that's how I like to live my life, whatever it is. I just say, what does the Bible say? One of the things my daughters in law said to me after, shortly after her heard my son were married, everything I ask him, he says, what does the Bible say? So that's the way we live. I just want to quote Bill Johnson for a moment. He says this. He says, I refuse to be more impressed with any circumstance that comes my way as much as I am with the word of God. And the power of God, amen. So they're not just principles that I tick off in my life; it's things that I actually live. Second thing that I want to talk about is Bible. Is that many people read it like it's a storybook, right, from beginning to end, and it doesn't work like that because it's not written chronologically, which means not in the time span that it that it happened. So when you read it, it's actually sixty-six books. That have been categorized and organized in a very special way, and if we don't understand that, we don't understand what we're reading. So I'm going to go through this really, really quickly. The way it's grouped, okay? This the first five books of the Bible, and this should be on on, on the straps as well, are the five law books, also called the Pentateuch, written by Moses. Right? The next, you get the 12 books that are all the history books. You then get the poetry books, those books that have got this little poetical some form or another. That would be Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Okay, then after that, we would get the prophecy books. And here what we have is the major prophets and the minor prophets. So the major prophets are the ones that had long books, and the minor prophets are the ones that had short books. books. So not major, better, minor, not better, but simply major minor longer shorter get that right chronologically here 400 years of silence then you get the great conquest you get alexander the great and then you've got the roman conquest and then jesus comes on the scene family get the gospels right matthew mark luke and john they're not stories of jesus it's one story with four different accounts of the same story Then we get the Acts of the Apostles, and this is the historical record of the New Testament church. The next section really should be part of those books, right? Now, it's kind of also like in the Old Testament where you have um, the historical books. You would have actually the books of poetry and the books of the prophets actually fit into the history books. For example, the story of David is found in 1 Samuel. Okay, so all the Psalms should be there in a chronological Bible. And here in the book of Acts, you have the New Testament church. So what would come from that are the letters which were written to those churches and those are the epistles. The epistle is not the wife of the apostle. I think that's funny. (laughs) They're letters, family. And this is really where we get our doctrine and it's the, the way... That we live as the local church right and then the last book of the bible is of course the book of revelation and that is the end time church that we're talking about so that helps us to know how it's all put together but as i said the the question that the title is what is the bible all about what does it mean what does god want from us what is this all about and someone asked these guys just to bring this TV for me now because I really want you to see this. This is really this mirror image of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I just think it's so, so powerful. And I believe this is really going to bless you. Okay, I can take a little bit more of that track because they're on top of me. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're good. Can we have some, something happening there? Okay, so it's called the plots, the mirror image. Watch this, this is gonna bless your socks off. First of all, what you get here is you get God and righteous people, right? And this is people in paradise. So we start over here with God's righteous people in paradise, and that is the Garden of Eden. Amen, everybody. Then what follows, Satan and sin, that enters into the world. And this is found in Genesis chapter 3, and we're very aware of what happens right there. And we need to listen to this because there might just be people here that are facing this right now. You see, the big thing is this, is that every single time that Satan and sin enter, it causes a separation from God, and we find that we have chaos in our lives. And if we're finding right now that we're in chaos, the question that we should ask is, am... <laughs> separated from God. So the next thing is, is that we have, the world is judged and destroyed. We know that's Noah and the flood, okay. Then what happened is chaos ensued again and humans now try to fix it themselves. And this time they built this tower of Babel. They wanted to get up there. They wanted to be in charge and they wanted to have this one world government system. And That's where God says, no, no, I don't think so. And God comes along and he says, this is what I have in mind, the 12 tribes of Israel, God's holy people. The problem with this was is that he gave them laws that were external. There was nothing on the inside. And so it didn't work. Right? Even the Bible says it didn't work. So enter Jesus Christ. The family, he is what the Bible is all about because Jesus is top and center see, after Jesus then came into this life, God established a brand new order, which is the 12 disciples, new church, right? God's holy people. And what's gonna happen next? And this is pretty much where we find ourselves right now in this program in history. Revelation tells us that once again, I kind of think we're at the beginning of this, or maybe we're already almost in the middle of this, where we decide, no, God, we can do this without you. We can have our own one-world government system, and I'm sure many of you have already read about this. And very prevalent in the world today, that we want to create our own world system, right? So, what's going to happen next? It's written in the word. Is, the world is going to be judged, and destroyed. We can read it as I said in the book of Revelation, and. When God destroys the world this time, family, Satan and sin are going to exit. That's what's going to happen. Satan will be thrown into the bottomless pit and we're going to rule and reign with King Jesus. And then it's not God and righteous people, but it is God and redeemed people in paradise. That is what's waiting for us. And that is... Is what the Bible is all about. Now, I want you to notice this. Have a look over here. You've got God and righteous people in paradise. It starts with it and it ends with it. Right? Paradise is what God always intended for us. You know what the closest word in the translation is to paradise? It's resort. I just love that. I think it's so amazing. You know, we have people, even, even Christians, that kind of had this idea that, you know, what I have here is life. And when I go up there, it's kind of afterlife. So, what I'm going to do, my afterlife, maybe I'll go horn some people. <laughs> I don't know. No. This family is the before life. That is the afterlife. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper in this. Let me ask you this question. What do you think is the subject of the Bible? Do you think it's us? sounds like it's us. No, not even close. We are the object. We're definitely not the subject because we have the subject right there. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the subject of the Bible. As we read our Bibles, we're saying, Find Jesus. Find Jesus. Family, He's He's there. He's in you in the Old Testament? Jesus in the Old Testament? Let me show you this. See this in John 5 and verse 39. It says, You search the scriptures. Now stop right there. Because think about this. At that time the only scriptures they had was the Old Testament, right? They didn't have a New Testament yet. So we say this, you search. The Old Testament, and you think that it's going to give you. You search the Old Testament because you think it's going to give you eternal life. But Jesus says this He says that the scriptures, watch that, point to me. Every scripture in the Bible, every book has Jesus in it. I want to close with this. We are the object, He is the subject. So, what is the verb? You know, we wanna know, what is it we to do? What is that doing word? Many people say it's love, it's close, okay? But it's not, there's something even better than love. You may say, Pastor oh, the Jenny, there's nothing better than love. It is love that is given for God. So love the world. He didn't just have love, he gave love, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the verb of the Bible is to give. And that is what our response is. And that is what we should be doing. I want to just show you this. You know, when we give, it is that we give our lives completely which means that we support the gospel with our resources that we get behind the welfare that we plant new churches and we do all of those things john 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the whole bible i want to take you for one moment to one john three sixteen. 16. look at that it says this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us What's it, what our response should be, family? Now we lay down our lives for others. And that, my precious family, is what this Bible is all about. That is the story of the Bible. One thing I want to say I love my Bible, family. It's very important. Knowing the Bible is one thing, knowing the author. We can never understand this Bible if we don't know the author. If I can have every head bowed, every eye closed at this moment. I want to just ask you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, maybe you feel that you've been separated from God. You know my life with God is just not what it should be. I don't feel His presence as I should. I don't hear His voice as I should. Maybe you've even received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before, but you know that your life is not where it should be with God. Tonight, I want to I invite you to correct that. And all it's going to take is one heartfelt prayer for you to do that. Maybe you just want to be sure that you have got a place in heaven for all of eternity. So I'm going to ask you right here and in the other auditorium and online, if you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this is your opportunity. And I'm gonna to count to three in a moment and just ask you to raise up your hand if you could do that. So you wanna receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you want to rededicate your life to God. You wanna be sure that Jesus has got a place for you in heaven for all of eternity. One, two, three, if you would just raise your hand up right there where you are. If you're online, raise your hand up because the Lord will see that. other venues, just raise your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is when lives are changed. This is what it's all about. Thank you, Jesus. just going to wait for another moment because I want you to know that there's a great big war going on for your soul right now and the devil will do everything in his power to stop you from raising your hand, but you just raise it up right there where you are. I'm going to ask every single person just to pray with me right now. If you will, if you just repeat this prayer, just heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Just say this, Jesus, my life is in chaos. I've tried to do it my way. I know I can't. And so I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me. I make you the Lord of my life. I believe you died. And you rose again just for me. And so I put my faith in you. Thank you for bringing my life into the way you want me to live it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmeritz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God.